Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa Curry-Lowitz, and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. everyone. Today it is Wednesday, December the 18th. In exactly one week, it's Christmas Day. So I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season first and foremost. So Merry Christmas, happy holidays, however you celebrate. I hope that it is a wonderful couple of weeks and that you finish 2019 in a really good place in your life. Secondarily, I'm excited to announce that Christmas has come early this year for all you listeners. (laughs) Why? Because Today, this podcast is a special treat. I'm really excited about my guest uh, who is here today to give us some deep, no bullshit advice on all things love and relationships. Mark Groves is a human connection specialist. He's an emotional translator, writer, speaker, and coach. His clients, they range from business to leaders, to couples, to individuals, where he helps each person understand their emotional matrix by mastering themselves through their words. He takes what you think you want, finds out what you really want, and gives you the tools to achieve your goals. Mark has over a half million followers on Instagram, and his podcast, The Mark Groves Podcast, was in my top three on my Spotify 2019 list. It's so good, so go and subscribe. And last week, I had the honor to sit down with this brilliant man for one of my most vulnerable and open conversations yet. So without further ado, let's get started. Okay. Hi, Mark. Welcome to my show. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. I'm actually really stoked to be interviewing you. So um, you and I, I want to give a little bit of background. I actually met you in person in May. I don't know if you remember this. Well, I th- you might. Um, at, yeah, we at the, at the conference in Fairmont. Yeah, so we were at the women's retreat in Whistler. And I actually, I have to admit, I never went and saw your talk. Um, when you were speaking at that event, I um, I was actually doing something else with... Um, were you at the selfie talk? No, I actually wasn't. <laughs> was that going on at the same time? <laughs> uh, I think so. Yeah. Oh my God. That's hilarious. So no, I, uh, I was, I had to, I had the something else happening during that time. So, but then at the farewell luncheon, you sat beside me and I was like, who is this guy? Like, and you just struck up a conversation and started talking to me about, starting my business and making online courses. And I was just like, so struck by the way you connected to me and you'd never met me before. I'm like, I actually was like, who the hell was that? (laughs) When you, when we left, I like started creeping you a little bit on Instagram. And I was like, holy shit, (laughs) this guy is awesome. (laughs) And I immediately like from that point on you, you, uh, have actually grown to be one of the most influential people that I follow on social media. Oh, uh, wow. Well, that is an honor. <laughs> that's for sure. So thank you so much for that. I mean, out of all the people you could choose to follow, I'm sure you do. Uh, that is, I'm just grateful. Thank you. 
Yeah. So let's talk about that because you are a human connections specialist, which is some, a title I've, I haven't heard very often. I mean, um, I made it. You made it very good. (laughs) Um, so in one of your bios somewhere, you talk about, um, being an emotional translator. I absolutely have to agree with that. I mean, I'm really drawn to people that not only provide inspiration through quotes or through action, through storytelling, writing, but that also go beyond the motivational quote, meaning you give like actionable advice. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm inspired for five seconds, but then I'm going to continue on with my life the way I've always lived it and do nothing. (laughs) Most of us till, till we're not in that loop. So tell me, like, what is a human connection specialist? Well, I essentially study and explore and continue to dive into what are the dynamics at play that make people really great at connection or really not great at it. And it really is a skill set. So, you know, I can observe someone in a workplace or in a romantic relationship. It doesn't matter the context and just observe their body language, listen to the words they use and in pretty quick way understand sort of their patterns so it's it's really just being able to say like hey how do you take where they're at they help them understand their world and what's shaped their world and why they choose their words and why they have the body language they do and why they operate in the world the way they do and how that interacts with someone else's story and world i mean that's the complexities of human relationships is that it's hard enough to be one human managing your own shit, but to take both of those things and mash them together and then hope to create a life out of that is without taking responsibility for where we come from in our own story, but also having that same level of curiosity for the people we're in relationship with. It doesn't matter if it's romantic or not, but really just saying like, am I, am I interested in understanding your world? And we're not going to do that with someone else if we've never taken the time to do it with ourselves. So in essence, I mean, the, the study of human connection is just what we're bad at is magnified by our romantic relationships. That's why it's such an easy place to see a pattern because if you're, if you have bad boundaries with work, you're going to have real bad boundaries with romance. <laughs> so it's just an easy, I mean, it's an easy target. And, and I say that with love because that's how I targeted it and learned about it was from my own relational experiences. So let's talk about you. How did you meet yourself in this? You talk about learning to meet yourself and understand who you are. How, how did that come to be for Mark Groves? I think for me, and I think this is true for everybody is that any moment that you feel like you are disconnected or you're numbing or you experience some form of rock bottom. I mean, we think about rock bottoms conceptually being alcohol, you yeah. know, someone blowing up their life, someone doing too much heroin. Yeah. But you could literally experience a rock bottom just from knowing that you are disconnected from who you are. And breakups are a really great opportunity to do that. So it is conflict, any form of argument where you're left depleted and sad and lonely and upset. I mean, all of these are moments to understand ourselves more fully. And for me, it was in a relationship that ended that I just thought to myself, like I was in sales, I was teaching communication and 
rapport and influence. And I thought to myself, like, why am I so good at talking about everything but my feelings? <laughs> like, this isn't a skill set issue because I have the skills. Yeah. There's something more going on here. And why do relationships end? And why do they not? And why does everyone lie to each other about that we have this facade that you marry someone when you're 25 to 30 and you have kids by a certain age. And if you don't live in the narratives of what you've been taught, then there's something wrong with you. Right. And I saw because all of a sudden I thought there was something wrong with me because I didn't fit in that narrative. Mm-hmm. I could say that unconsciously, I really wanted to rescue people from what I was experiencing. Like to say like, this is actually common. It's actually common to not be in the bell curve. It's like common not to be the perfect line in the, in the mean, you know, to say like what we think is true and the story we tell ourselves from Disney is not actually what's happening. And my work was began from that of feeling like everyone's on the train of life, you know, doing the right degree, going and doing a degree. And that is part of the narrative, you know, and getting married, having kids. And if I think when we experience divorce or breakups, we're sort of kicked off the train. Yeah. You know, we feel like we don't fit in. It's the same person, you know, everyone on the train looks out and sees a single person and goes, Oh, why are you single? Like there's something wrong with you. Like you have an ailment, you know, like you have leprosy, you know, (laughs) as opposed to like, why can't we celebrate individuality and aloneness? Because in that lonely desperation and search for another to not get asked that question to complete ourselves, we are choosing them from an unhealthy space, which choosing them to fulfill our worth, to make it so we're seen as enough. And as soon as you place your worth outside of who you are, then you've lost. Okay. I want to talk about that more because that's kind of what I struggle with. But when it comes to what you just said about beliefs and about Disney movies, that's very, um, I can relate to that because I grew up thinking that same way. And from birth, I kind of was like this anti- uh, I don't know, norm person. I didn't do all the things. I didn't go to school, get, well, I ended up getting married, but I was in professional sports. So I went the athletic route. So I didn't, it didn't look the same for me. And that was like, I was one of the first in my, uh, group of friends that didn't do it that way. And it, it was very interesting to go against the norm, but what I, how I want to loop this back in is my beliefs were still that I'm, wrong or I'm going to pay for this later, or this isn't right. You know, I always kind of had that in my background. And then when I actually was walking down the aisle, I knew that this was not right, but I did it anyways. It was so unbelievable. The place that I was at, and I want to kind of get it, have this lead into my next question about our relationship to ourselves and how the denial system plays a role in our day-to-day lives and like overall story here, the denial system, you know, avoidance or manipulating the situation so that it fits your box. Well, all of these ideas, you know, the momentum of the collective narrative is incredible. You know, it's like being caught on a wave. Yes. And and to turn towards it to say, to claim oneself within a story that is not our own, you know, that is the ultimate act of courage, is the ultimate act of rebellion. You know, I think it's important to honor how how absolutely true that is even more ingrained for women. 
right. or anyone who identifies as woman. Because if you look historically at relationship, and you know, I'm not going to go back into uh, tribal times, but if you just look at, <laughs> back in the last hundred years, couple hundred years, four hundred years, really the patriarchy is more uh, more recent, modernized version of relationship that we're moving away from. But it essentially taught to not have a voice, to self-abandon, to be at service of the relationship. And that is true for men, too. They were taught to go get a job and work at a factory or work at the office and stay there for 60 years. And when you finally retire and come home, you'll be a stranger in your own house. You know, So both people suffered. But I would say that for a woman to find her identity and her worth within that story has been, it goes against, it's because it's on a cellular level. Yeah. You know, because... What's it's in our DNA. One, we inherit what we observe. Yeah. We talked about epigenetics. There's that part of it too, that it literally is occurring within ourselves. And also that if you've never seen a woman turn towards the system and like stand up and use her voice, it is, it is just so inspiring to see because it requires everything. Mm-hmm. It requires the fear of not being accepted. And that's why authenticity is the ultimate act of rebellion. But it comes at a price. You know, I, I can't say like, use your voice, stand in your truth, choose your path. Yeah. Don't go to university, get divorced if you actually feel like you need to, start a relationship if you feel like you need to. All of those trigger, I have, all of those lines will trigger someone. Right. Because whenever I say to someone like, your children will learn more from you standing in your truth and how you handle conflict than from your relationship status. That is always true. I will stand in the fire of that truth that your child will learn more from who you are. You don't have to be together to be a good parent. And that fucking pisses so many people off Yeah, because they abandon themselves under this narrative that you have to stay together for the kids. I've worked with so many people whose parents stayed together for them, who resent their parents for staying together for them. Yeah. So we build prisons in our lives that are of our own construction. And then we resent the prison we built. You know, and I think that's yeah. when we actually start to see that, when we actually start to see that we have signed up for a story that is not ours, it one requires responsibility. Yeah. It's pretty painful to say I chose this story even though I didn't know I was choosing it. That hurts hearts. That's <laughs> That's shame. Yeah. It's healthy shame though. You know, it's temporary as well. Somewhere along the way, I might never have known me. Right. And, and there's a sadness to that, you know, because we might never have spoken our truth in the first moment. We blow up our lives to reclaim ourselves, which is usually how we do it. <laughs> um, we all of a sudden feel free. Yeah. And then we don't often know how to hold on to who we are and then be in love again. And that's, uh, that's a really big learning. So what does it feel like to be connected to our truths and to stand with ourselves? What does that look like or feel like? Well, if you learn what boundaries are, which boundaries are really a line that delineates who I am from who you are. Say so that, like, say, wait, you, okay, wait, say that again, because I definitely want to talk about boundaries a lot. <laughs> well, that's freedom. Freedom is drawing a line around who I am. Okay. And, and, and delineating who you are from who I am. Most of us don't, if I was to tell you the truth of how I feel yeah. and it hurts your feelings, I might never tell you the truth of how I feel because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Well, right there, I've already broken my own boundary and I've broken yours. So 
it, what happens there is I don't have a line around who I am. I don't stand in the truth of my feelings. So I'll probably resent you secretly because uh, your feelings, because I take responsibility for them. I don't want to tell you the truth. So I blame you for being the reason that I don't tell the truth when it's really actually I'm the birth of my own rejection. And again, that's another truth that we learn that we go, fuck. Yeah. So wait, I'm the reason I get rejected. Yes, 100%. The people around you just become evidence of what you do within your own internal system. So freedom feels like the ability to believe what you want to believe, what your spiritual practices are, how you want to be touched, how you want to touch someone else. You know, they're physical, they're emotional, how I feel versus how you feel. There um, and physical can be something like you know it's obvious that my skin delineates me from you, but if you're my friend versus my lover versus acquaintance versus a threat, the space that you will be allowed to come close to me will be different. And it's an interesting practice when you set up two people and you have them walk towards each other. You have one word person walk towards the other person who stands still, and you have the person standing still express when they're at their physical boundary. Okay. And it's fascinating to observe because often where they finally say stop, they're actually about four to five inches past what the truth was. Interesting. Some of them won't even be able to say stop and they'll hug them because they don't, they'd rather hug them than actually say a no and potentially hurt someone's feelings. Even more interesting. That is crazy. Okay. Yes. If you flip it and then you have the other person walk towards and the other person stands still, you'll see that their lines are different. Their closeness is different. Now, if the one person who went first let the other person hug them, they might feel under duress to also let them hug them, even though the line might be a couple feet. So it's fascinating to observe, like even lost in that is, the responsibility for how other people feel. Yeah. Or we might never let anyone close, which that is a boundary that's really a wall. So we're afraid of intimacy. Both are afraid of hurt. It's just that the the way we respond to the fear of pain is different. One needs to be close to people and the other one needs to be away from people. And that's the same as when we look at attachment styles, like anxious versus avoidant attachment. It's right. just expressed the exact same way. Give me some common boundaries that people make, because like this is a term that is sort of, I think, was introduced to me by you, actually. So it's relatively new for me. I am a little bit of my history is I came out of a a very intense relationship. My world exploded. Everything exploded. And I decided just to take a break from dating. And I ended up taking a three year break. Um, it was a good break. It was not intentionally going to be three years, but I started to really enjoy who I was. And I inadvertently started creating boundaries in my life. And I ended up cutting out like friendships. I started hanging out with more positive people. I just started to like care for myself and love myself in a way that it represented in my environment as well, which I thought was kind of neat. And I was like, Oh, and when someone that I would gravitate towards previously, like men in my life would come in, I would, they, I wasn't attracted to them anymore. Like I'd created sort of a different space. And I feel like that was setting boundaries for myself and upholding them in many ways. So when I started following you and seeing like, that's actually a thing, I was like, holy crap. And it was almost like, um, it was like verbalizing 
what I was feeling. Does that make sense? Like, so, yeah, so there was finally like a construct or a system yes. to, to what you had experienced. What, yeah. What I had sort of experienced just by focusing on self-care and treating myself, like improving my relationship to self. Um, that being said, I did it one way. I mean, I'm sure there are a billion ways to do that and a billion examples of boundaries. What, how can people create healthy boundaries? But you have to get to know who you are first. Okay. You know, so you have to get to know what you value. Okay. What, is, what are your values? What do you need? You know, most people don't know what they value because they're lost within the values of other people. You know, so yeah. for kids who grow up in a home where the family pivoted around one person, maybe an addict, someone who was angry, someone who was always running the guilt. Yeah. You know, someone who was had a chronic illness. That one's hard because. Right. Of course, we feel guilty for having needs when someone else is overtly has a ton of needs just for survival. So it's hard. You know, everyone has the right to how they feel. And when you actually see that and you have the right to your own feelings and you stop denying them, then you can start to explore them. So when someone grows up in a family like that, the family pivots around one person's needs, not their own. So they don't develop their own. The other side is if you had parents who weren't around, if you had needs, no one was going to listen to them anyways. So there's no development of needs. Now, then if you really want to find out what you value, then just look at who you admire, because the people you admire are the people who emulate who you want to be. So those are the people who contain your values. So you start to write down what are the top three to five values I have? A lot of people will be like connection, honesty, truth. Yeah. Uh, integrity, love, unconditional love. Yeah. To be a space for other people, you know, that kind of thing. Well, then you look at your life and you go, okay, where am I out of integrity in my own self with integrity? Where am I out of my integrity with my own self with honesty? Do I tell myself the truth? Yeah. Do I connect to the truth of what's happening in my life? And then you look at all the relationships you have and you go, okay, <laughs> who do I resent? Because yeah. anywhere you hold resentment, it's really just a mirror that you don't prioritize yourself. So it's a good one. A hundred percent of the time, a hundred percent. If you resent someone else, it's because they are evidence that you do not take care of yourself. And that's why you can resent your kids. <laughs> you know, that's easy, right? But that's where, and I'm not going to, you know, minimize it. Ooh, that's but when you thinking. look at people who ask for support, because most people who lose themselves are afraid to ask for support and actually afraid to be loved. Yes. So they don't ask for support and then they feel lost and they feel not supported. Then they resent everyone and then they get sick. You know, yeah. this is because we're in a constant state of inflammation when we're not protecting ourselves. And what does your immune system do when you're in a state of fight, flight, freeze? Well, it shuts down. It turns down. And then we get blues, we get autoimmune diseases, we get tons of things yeah. that are very correlated. You look at a lot of autoimmune, they begin with an emotional trauma. I mean, that's a whole other subject. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, the boundary, what it does is it begins to draw a circle around who you are because you are already whole. And that's what boundaries do is they preserve your wholeness. They set a standard. And what you did in your life is when you removed yourself from some form of toxicity or conflict, your being felt at peace, even if it meant loss, even if it meant, yeah. you know, on some level, when we are in love with 
someone who is chaotic and we become chaotic or we are chaotic, then love gets coded as chaos. And when love gets coded as chaos, then our nervous system gets bored when it's relaxed. Yeah. Because we probably grew up in a home where there was conflict, where there was chaos. And so when there's actually certainty, we don't find it sexy. You know, and that's what happens when we take time to ourselves and put ourselves on a, I don't know, I used to use the term Dom Detox or Vaj Vacation, but that started to trigger people. <laughs> I just think it's a great term. But, the, but what I, when you do that, it's like quitting any drug. You have to learn how you relate to it. Um, sometimes you need walls at first when you're building your identity. And when you, what you did was you set standards for your life. And then if someone came into your life who didn't meet those standards, then they just fall away. That's why I like. So is standards, is, is standards a synonym for boundaries then? Standards are your own values. Right. They're the only level of which you hold for yourself. And so a boundary draws a circle around your standards, around your being. Okay. So you say, if you come into my life with chaos, you are not in my life. Right. Because I am not in chaos. You know, if you attract chaos, you're chaos. If you attract unavailable people, you're unavailable. You know, like I will stand in that 100% of the time. That one pisses people off too. Uh, I bet it does. So it's triggering a little bit in me because I don't understand. Um, I don't understand it fully um, because like I, I grew up with the belief that uh, drama in a relationship is a sign of love, like being dramatic or whatever. That means like I liked fighting. I liked fighting. You used to like fighting. I mean, I used to like fighting. Yeah, it's yeah, it's true. I, it's true. However, my, so what I struggle with, I kind of want to get into like my things is, uh, the pattern in which I lived so many relationships. I mean, I kind of like the analogy where, you know, I fell in the hole and I learned some things and, the next time I fell in the hole, it was a little less deep and it took me a little less time to get out. And eventually I would like to walk around the hole. Um, or fill it up so there's no hole. Yeah, fill it up so that I, or exactly, or exactly yeah. that. So I just like had this habit of dating the same person over and over again until I took that break. So where I kind of like, str- I'm struggling right now is even th- with relationships with friends. My relationship with my current partner is sort of new. It's like six months or so new. But prior to that, I mean, I had this really some friends that had some big falling out moments with, and it was triggering these things in me. And I was like, I'm talking long-term friends, really close girls in my life that essentially ghosted me. And I, I saw this problem or not a problem, but I saw the pattern represented in a different way. And I, I, it was hard for me to see or understand the wound in myself when it was happening with the girlfriend situation. Can you speak to that a little bit? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think when we start to lose people around us, it's often evidence that we're actually doing good work. Okay. I think it's evidence to our unworthiness because we've encoded that if someone doesn't choose you or love you, you're not worthy of being loved. Yes. So there's an interesting transition that happens when you start to fill your own cup, when you start to express yourself. You know, often when people start to venture down the world of self-care, take care of themselves, having boundaries, remember that everybody who benefited from you not having boundaries is going to not like you having boundaries. Right. So the moment you set standards, you also invite the people around you who hold lower standards to raise their standard. 
Right. Or else you have to lower yours, which means you have to drink and hide your light to keep people who drink and hide their light. Or you stand in your truth of who you are and you invite them to meet you. Most people are used to trying to rescue someone from their own pain because they didn't like sitting in their own. So when you start to save yourself, when you start to sit in your own shit, then you invite someone else to do the same and meet you. And that is the healing of codependence. That's the healing of trying to rescue people. That's the healing of losing oneself to be in love. And You're right. Now I said earlier that the model of relationship we've inherited, if we go back to the birth of civilization, I mean, I'm going to go with science over uh, Adam and Eve here. Okay. That really tribes and marriage were about getting more in-laws. They were about, you know, if you look at being a part of a tribe, and this is deeply coded in our DNA, which is you, if you have an opinion that is different than the group, then you're going to die. That's just true. Yeah. We burn witches at the stake. We look what happens if you break the rules of most religions. You get cast out of the religion. Right. You know, so these are all old human systems that ensure different ways of believing and ensure the safety of our own identities, not in a good way. Right. You know, we're very privileged in a lot of places to be able to actually be who we are, to self-express, to stand in our truth. There is so many places in the world that if you're a woman and you want to have a voice, you that's not happening. You know, so I recognize and honor the innate privilege I sit with him and even being able to say this because it wasn't that long ago that I myself would probably be shot for saying some of the things I say. <laughs> you know, so that's a pretty lucky. Yeah. There's no better time to be here, you know, and when you start to see that people fall away as you become who you are, you see that the agreements that you held and what meant friendship, what meant relationship. Right. You know, you can also reach out to them and ask why. Yeah. And you might not like the answer. I didn't. And it also might, not, it might be manipulative, their answer. Yeah. What was their answer? Um... Well, you don't I, no, I don't. I just, well, there was two, two situations. One of them, I didn't reach out. And the second one I did, because I kind of regretted not saying anything and using my voice on how I felt. And, uh, they said that they didn't know that they made me feel that way and that they were sorry. However, the behavior didn't change afterwards. So it was kind of just like a, a momentary, oh, okay, we're going to be okay. And now I'm like, okay, I see who you are. And that's well, okay. And uh, that's okay. You invited them to meet a standard of behavior. Yeah. And they didn't. And they have the right of their own sovereign right to do that. Right. And it means nothing about you. See, this is, yeah. this is the, the book, The Four Agreements is so good about this, which is one, honor your word. And the other one is what other people think of you is none of your business. Yeah. This is a child within us. I have the same job. Don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking from like a holy faith. <laughs> It, yeah, it's the, I observe the fear of the child that says, what happens if they don't like me? Yes. And I say back to the child, we love ourselves because we show up. And what happens in the transition of authenticity and self-expression and self-love is that we start to cultivate our own self-worth. So a boundary has a beautiful symbiotic relationship, which is if you speak to me in a way that's not okay, and I say to you, listen, when you speak to me in that tone, it hurts my feelings and it makes me feel unsafe. If we are going to continue this conversation, I promise to be 
kind and generous in my communication. And I hold the same standard for you. If you do not do that, then I'm going to have to hang up the phone or leave or whatever the consequences. Yeah. And then I have to follow through on that consequence because if I don't, then my boundaries are just suggestions and they're really bullshit. But if I <laughs> stand in that truth, what I've just said to myself is you are worthy of a standard of behavior of love and communication. You are worthy is what I just did. Now, what the boundary does is it builds self-worth and there's a leap that occurs, which is where we don't love ourselves. The first boundary is a complete leap of courage and yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. But what happens is, is it fills the cup. It says, I love me. And then it has a, a, that symbiotic relationship is that it becomes a bit of our self-worth. And then that's how work is used to cultivate another boundary. And so what happens yeah. is we build this beautiful system and this beautiful line around us. Now, the important thing is that if you invite any standard of behavior in your life, you better meet it. Mm-hmm. You don't get to ask for honesty and lie. You don't get to ask for common peace and be chaos. You have to hold the standards of what you want other people to hold. And that's why we attract what we are. You know, we attract what we actually, you are what you choose, not what you say you want to choose. Now, I hear people all the time say, I want a great relationship, and they choose not that. And I say, no, you don't want that. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yeah. Because we don't believe we're worthy of it. So worthiness comes in what we, you know, you just look at the evidence in our lives of what we choose. And what you choose determines how you feel. Is worthiness one of the biggest struggles that you see in your coaching practice? It's everything. It's everything. everything. Okay. Because we're all walking around thinking we all inherit it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's inherited from unhealed stuff from generations upon generations. And it doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's a very big stretch to look at people's lives and say we're really often very good at giving love. But as soon as someone needs to love us, we run, we find all the people who can't. Yeah. We love people fresh out of relationships because to stand still and be loved, it, it's everything. It requires the healing and the alchemization of the belief that we're unworthy, it has to move, it has to transcend, it has to go away. So to stand and actually be loved, that's why loving everybody else and doing things for everybody else is such an act of, of escapism. It, yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a righteous one. Yeah. Is it, a, it, however, in, without awareness, it's, it's hard to recognize that in yourself, that that's actually happening. Like it does take a certain level of willingness to see our behaviors or like observe them to acknowledge that that might even be happening. Does that make it's sense? It's a survival strategy. Survival know, strategy. Yeah. And so it's, it is manipulation when it's the outpouring of oneself to get another, oh, but I did all these things for you, but I love you, but I chose you. Yeah. But look at all the ways I love you. <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't know you were making me sign all these secret contracts. You know, we do this stuff all the time. I was a master of it. That's why I'm like, I say it all with such compassion. But when I actually started to stand still and just look at who I was and how I showed up and that I never really let anyone actually love me, mm. that was just a moment of, of, of sadness and ultimate empowerment. Because when you connect to the truth of who you are and how you actually show up, now you're standing on solid ground. Do I lie? Do I cheat? Am I manipulative? How do I do these things? How do I operate in a relationship? 
when you actually call it out, then all of a sudden you can change. Mm-hmm. But when you're too busy drinking it away, fucking it away, snorting it away, digitally escaping ourselves by Instagramming it away, <laughs> you know, all of these ways that we avoid being present, the truth. I heard you speak a few times on your Instagram about the ability to be loved or accept love. And I didn't really know what that meant until recently I'm entering into this new relationship. And it's not something that I even thought about. I I openly talk about my unworthiness, feelings of unworthiness through uh, not just relationships, but through a lot of things in my life, abundance, money, jobs, everything, opportunity. Uh And something new is kind of coming up and I wanted to ask you your opinion about it because I don't know if this is just old patterns of the love is drama, but I feel really good with who I am and, and my boundaries and my standards and all of the things I feel really good as a human being uh, right now. The pendulum swing of life is on an upswing, let's just say. However, the little devil in the brain is starting to like poke and it's saying things like, this is too good to be true. It's too good to be true. It's like, I have a, it's good. It's too good to be true complex right now. And I'm like, scare it, like it scares me. And then I'm like, no, relax. And I have to like put some space between that thought a lot. Like I'm constantly putting space between that thought. What, what, like, do you have anything to say about that? Like, I'm going to answer to that. Uh, <laughs> what is what that? Does having that thought prevent you from? Uh, what does that thought prevent? It, well, I guess it's a ceiling because it's preventing me from continuing to be myself and show up. Um, what does it protect you from? The potential that I... How do I say this? You say it. Whatever it comes to From maybe I'm... This he, is too good to be true. Yeah, that he might not continue to choose me. Yeah, it protects you from going deeper. From going deeper. Yeah. Well, inherent in what we do with love is that we build our limits. Is that we, you know, if you want to find out your limit in love, just finish the sentence. When I let people love me, they... When I let people love me, they First thing. give me time. That's, or I have time. When I let people love me, I have time with them. What about negative possibility? Because that's a beautiful positive possibility. But okay. you, when you say it's too good to be true, there's something that's bad that's on the other side of good. <laughs> oh, so, okay. I am. So even when I love people, they. When I love people, they leave. There you go. So when you say it's too good to be true, you prepare for the leaving, but you leave yourself. But I leave myself. I do. You, you give yourself permission to not be present. I did. That's exactly it. I'm projecting myself like into some ridiculous future <laughs> of unknown. <laughs> well, on the other end of that is pain of loss of someone leaving. Yeah. That is actually steering your life. You know, it's not allowing you to go deeper in an intimate level. So we come up with narratives like, this is too good to be true. But imagine if you said in, this is so good. Yeah. And it's exactly what I'm worthy of. I I love doing that. And I do that with my partner. I like, we like, I talk about that. It is so good. It's so great. And it feels so good. And then I get in these moments of vulnerability and it's like, it's too good to be true thing. Yeah. I like... 
it's, I like gravitate towards that shit and I want it to go away and I'm working on filling my cup. And I really liked your analogy about like, you know, it's just one step at a time creates bigger boundaries. Well, how old were you when someone left? Okay. Here's the interesting thing. I've, I've had three big relationships and I've actually left all three of them. I'm the one that left. So there's been, uh, mostly, uh, adultery behaviors. So oh, men have cheated oh, on me. Okay. Men have cheated on me. My, my parents had adultery in their relationship. My dad and my parents are divorced. And then I kind of, that happened to me. So I was basically my mom in all this situation. Oh, well, you when your parents divorced? I was 12, 13. And who moved out? My dad moved out. Yeah. So. I mean, there's so many possibilities of where this guy can come from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I would say that there's probably a narrative that when I love people, they cheat. Yes. I love people, they betray me. Yes. This is too good to be true you know, to the young <laughs> child in you. When yeah. How old were you when it first happened? How old was I when in my when relationship? Infidelity in your childhood. Um, it would have been around that after the divorce, I would say like in my mid teens, I started to understand what that was. Do you have a relationship with your dad? No. No. So you found out the truth about who your father was. Yeah. At the time, not who he is, but who he was. I don't know who he is now. Yeah. I don't either. (laughs) That is devastating to a child. Yeah. You know, it's the same wound that can live within who are you really? Like we don't trust that someone is who they say they are. And so often we'll pick people who just keep continuing that pattern and we'll miss red flags because we were taught to miss red flags to be in our childhood. So mm. we, in order to survive, because you can't really just leave your family when you're eight or 10 or 12. Yeah. So you learn to adapt and to ignore that your parent isn't a good person or that, you know, and I'm speaking generally, Yeah. but look at that, you know, the, the narrative that lives on the other side of you going deeper, probably deeper than you've ever loved anybody, it is he's going to leave. He's going to cheat on you. Yeah. It's easier for you to do that. All the previous relationships, they all cheated. Yeah. And then you left them. Yeah. At what point before you found out about them cheating, did you leave yourself if you look back? Oh, this is deep. You're going real deep here. Okay, let's think here. Um, well, there's moment where I we feel go, I feel something off here, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna stay, or I'm not gonna say anything, or I'm gonna ignore it, or I'm gonna talk about it. He's gonna lie to me. There's a moment always. There's lots of them. But yeah, the yeah. The, the moments, the moments that I realized, I realized that there is a problem or recognized or saw the red flags in the relationship is different than the answer I'm going to give you because you asked, when did I leave the relationship? And honestly, looking back almost immediately, I would leave the relationship. I would like basically play a role. I was role playing or something like that. I don't even know because I, I haven't really been able to hold space for myself until very recently. (laughs) just to be myself and accept who I am and all my, whatever people call flaws because whatever. So I would say I was probably, yeah, abandoned myself very early. And then the points that I recognized that 
that a line was crossed. I don't know. Is that kind of what you mean? There was a line crossed and I, it would, I would continue to stay in the relationship for a long time after that. Well, often when people are in relationships with people who have infidelity, I think there's two things that are important to highlight here. One is that we often choose people and then we know right away that they're not a great choice, but we stay in the relationship because we might've observed that from our childhood too. Yeah. Um, and then the only way to get out of those is to blow it up. Right. So even before 12, before your parents got divorced, you probably at least unconsciously observed that in some way. Um, I don't want to speak for you. No, no, but that, that, uh, yeah, that resonates with me. So then the other side of that is when we are checked out of a relationship and disassociated from it because of previous trauma from whatever it might be, just even observing a parent's divorce and a party and a father not being around, just something like that. I'm not saying that's true for you, but that's yeah. possible. Yeah. Is that the, then the relationship is actually void of intimacy anyways, because we're not present. So then infidelity becomes the way the other person gets their need for intimacy met. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we feel like we're always constantly in a cycle of unworthiness. Yes. As opposed to if, you know, you were seven years old and or you saw your seven-year-old daughter experiencing uh, a friend treating them poorly and lying to them and da 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 you would never say just stay their friend, you know, just continue to we would never do that with children. Right. But never. we do it with ourselves all the time. And this is inherited trauma. This is inherited wounding. You look at the patterns of people's families and they say, I never want to be like my dad or my mom. Yeah. And inevitably become like one of them or the opposite, which is not healthy either. Right. You know, it's always about integration. And it sounds to me like you're in a really beautiful moment of an upper limit where you get to choose a different behavior, which is turning towards a partner, which you've done. Right. One of the best ways to diffuse a trigger is to tell the story of how it happened to a partner is to tell its birth, its origin, is to say, this is why I get scared. Here's what happened when I was seven. And what it does is it gives context and you invite the partner to do the same. And then all of a sudden when we're in conflict and you get really flustered or flooded or disassociated and you get scared that it's too good to be true, I can sit there and say, it is ex- this is exactly what you're worthy of. Because I have empathy for where the story was born. I see you when you're 12 rather than see you at whatever age you are. You know, and that, yeah. because we really, we really devolve to the age of the first trauma. So that's why when we get into conflict, we might be the most Zen fucking yoga person in the world, but then all of a sudden <laughs> someone rejects us and we fucking light their phone up with fire emojis and like gifts that say die, you know, and we become someone we don't like because we haven't, sat in the pain of the origin story. Sure. And you're staying in it. It's really beautiful. I mean, I hope everyone listening experiences <laughs> the inspiration of what it means to choose a different story, which by just speaking with him about it. It's yeah. Different. Right. I, fi- get- I find though, like the, okay. So I wanted to ask your opinion about what the work is. What does the work look like um, in our lives? Because I know someone had asked me that question and I, I, a part of it is looking at my relationship to myself and a part of it is taking responsibility for, for myself. And I understand love versus fear and how 
there is uh, consequences to everything. And therefore we are always responsible for ourselves, even though we want to make others responsible. So yeah, what does that look like? Well, you know, the work is really getting to know who you are and giving birth to your voice. You know, the, it is, it is an act of total rebellion to claim yourself now. You know, that's, I'll keep coming back to that. Right. But okay. Like your work is relational awareness is building, thinking about how you think, which is called metacognition, like thinking about how you think, thinking about why you are the way you are. Actually looking at the narratives and stories, getting to know what your unconscious does. Because, you know, if if you never looked at your patterns of your story and your family, you would keep choosing men who cheat on you and then think it's fate and think that you are destined to this. Yeah. When really a number of different choices would change your life, right? What you're in, what you're doing. And this is what people do is they think that everything is happenstance that they don't get to choose their partner. They're all waiting to be chosen because they were taught that their worthiness comes from being chosen. So everyone's walking around like a damsel in distress when, <laughs> you know, so or walking around like a warrior and never letting anyone in, <laughs> you know, and, and you're not waiting to be saved. You know, if you go to relationships waiting to be saved or seen, it will never occur that way. It has to occur from within. Someone can remind us of our worthiness and light a match and give us a sense of hope. But the work of walking within the corridors of ourself is our work first. They can be behind us. They can hold the flashlight. They can hold our hand. Yeah. But it is our work to get to know the depths of our darkness. And the darkness is awesome. It's amazing. That's the fuel that you, we have from pain is the ultimate fuel of transformation. You know, you... We don't date the same people by accident. We date them because we haven't learned yet. Right. We keep repeating the pattern until we make a different choice. And, you know, we are, we meet those moments where we're, our stomach goes, ah, and we have a choice. And that choice is let go or be dragged to evolution or not. Be bigger or no. You know, and that's, those are hard moments. I mean, those are, I don't say it with simplicity. It is simple, but it involves going against everything that you know. And I remember listening to Carolyn May say that at every moment in our life, there will be a few moments in our lives where we are betrayed to remind us of who we are and we will have to betray a system, something in order to reclaim ourselves. And that's always resonated with me because oh, yeah. I both had to betray in order to choose myself and make this work born. And I've also been betrayed. And in the betrayals of me, I've been able to hold space because I know what it's like to have to choose myself at the cost of someone else's feelings and future. And that's the hardest thing to do. But it's when you finally cut the strings of the tether to other people. And then you learn how to be with them as an individual, not as a, as a um, enmeshed codependent couple. That's so different. That it really resonates with me. That was beautifully said. And there is one little, okay. So you do a lot of really cool IGTV little blips. They're like the perfect little, you know, wake up in the morning, watch Mark Groves, IGTV, uh, <laughs> inspo of the day. <laughs> I mean, for the people listening, go and follow him on, on Instagram because his IGTV is friggin' amazing. Anyways, um, so you have like a lot of different subjects and just to be a little bit lighter, one of them recently really triggered me 
And I need to ask you about it. Okay, so the one thing you said was, I'm dating someone that doesn't want a label. Now, maybe I missed the context of, of the rant, but I, I disagreed with that because I think to be claimed is to lose yourself in, in the relationship. Sure. <laughs> like for two people to live their lives and come together is kind of where I'm going with my boundaries and to be an empath is to really put my needs first in many ways. So when I heard that, I was like, huh. And you said, I think I'm going to try and quote you here. You said, if someone doesn't want to celebrate you or claim you, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I like to celebrate, but the claim, what is that? What is, what do you mean by that? Uh, yeah, I can see why that word would be triggering because it sounds like uh, honor and obey is about. Yeah. So I think that might have just been out of context, but uh, I'll take responsibility for the word I use. <laughs> so claim being that I am proud to be with you. I, right. You are my partner and we choose one another. You know, it's fascinating because that triggered a lot of people that one, um, <laughs> which I love when things trigger people because one, I learned yeah, how to use better words where it's not like claim. Celebrate, I stand in the truth of for sure. Yeah. Because to be in a relationship where you're not celebrated is to lose oneself. You know, it's a, we are worthy of being proud of the people we're with and people being proud of who we are and that they're with us. Yes. If they're not willing to do that, it's almost always a giant red flag, (laughs) you know? Now there are reasons people can't, and it could be, they just got out of a relationship. They're going through a divorce. There's going to be so many reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if someone is not willing to share publicly their relationship with you, then there's a reason. Right. And it might be because they got some side dishes going on or they have a main dish or they're actually afraid of intimacy. Mm -hmm. All of this just produces more information. So if someone goes after watching that video and goes to their partner and says like, listen, you don't celebrate me and you're afraid. And I listened to Mark Groves and he pissed me off and he's going to piss you off. Because you use the word clean, <laughs> you don't claim me. <laughs> it's going to invite a beautiful conversation of truth. Because at the a lot of the times people don't like like someone on there. I remember read a comment that said, um, "I am an individual and relationship statuses are unnecessary and blah blah blah." And yeah. I'm like, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. Yeah. I it, that we only fear relationship statuses where in hindsight we have lost ourselves within it. So. What we do is we blame the status and not our individuality and our boundaries. So it's, oh, I gave, good. I got married. Marriage sucks. Yeah. No, what you defined as marriage sucks. What you call marriage sucks. Yeah. Marriage doesn't suck. Marriage is a word. Words are just two shared agreed definitions. If I say the color gray, you might think gray is a darker shade of gray. And I think it's a lighter shade of gray. We have to create shared agreements of what words mean. But when I say marriage and you're, parents ended with divorce and melody you would be like marriage is bullshit i'm not saying that's what you feel but i did for many years i did because i I was married i was like marriage is stupid you don't need to be married but now i'm like meh (laughs) it's about defining it (laughs) yeah what does partnership mean for you what does marriage mean for you yeah it might mean many things but it's not it doesn't mean what you observed 
I see that now, but it took me a long time. It took me a long time to be able to see that and understand that what you're saying, but I love it. Okay. Continue. Sorry. And not many people ask questions like who is God to me? Mm -hmm. They just are born into a religion and then they adopt doctrines and dogmas and beliefs that are not their own Mm -hmm. because they don't take authority over their own lives because they were taught not to, because to have a voice meant death. So now having a voice and instead we lose ourselves within religions. You know, we like, are told never to have sex before marriage, then in shame, we secretly do it. We secretly make out or we get married just to fuck, which is so messed up. Instead, (laughs) I'm like, just be empowered about your sexuality. Like learn about your sexuality, be responsible with it. Don't get fucking wasted to have sex. And I say this having observed it growing up and been part of it because as a Catholic or recovering Catholic, we were taught (laughs) that sex was bad and that desire was bad, but to be human is to have desire. So, you know, this is, I mean, that's a long other rant that I could go on, but the whole point being that we need to question everything. We need to question why we believe what we believe. We need to question why we are the way we are. And when you go into that sense of inquiry, which is really the question, who am I? Yeah. Then you get to be you. I mean, that's the belief all beneath all the bullshit and all the rules you were taught is who you are. And that, that is the most empowering thing in the world is finally just sitting in silence and letting that part of us speak and not being caught in the busyness and the addictions. I mean, below all that is someone who isn't reactive. Someone who like marriage is like, no, yeah, sure. Maybe, <laughs> you know, but there's not like a stress about it. Do it. like, if I use the word claim with you in that state, yeah. you'd be like, you can't claim me. There's no such thing, <laughs> right? Because even a relationship status doesn't mean I have you, but we often think it does. Okay. That's where, that's, that's where I, I guess I have to agree because that's what I believe about marriage. So that's what I have in common about that word is that to be married that's is to be claimed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you commit to me, if you send me a Facebook relationship request, if you post a picture about me, then I have you. Mm-hmm. And then I don't have to do the beautiful work that is partnership. I get to take you for granted. I forget to give up. Also, what we do, and I spoke about this earlier, is like finding out what you value. You also have to find out what you need. And needs will circle around values. But a lot of people meet their needs with wants. So what I mean by that is, if I need safety from you, and we're in a relationship and there's chaos... I might try to get pregnant. I might want to get mm. engaged. I might want you to buy me gifts. But really below all of that is actually a need for security, which I will never get from any of those things. It's not a baby's job to fix your life. You know, it's not an engagement or a marriage will never give you the security you seek. It'll just give you an expensive future. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I promise. I had a couple of awesome. Okay. Do you meditate? Yes. Do you have a daily meditation practice? Yes. I navigated in and out of that, but um, more recently, I mean, I've always done it probably three, four times a week. Okay. But more recently, I really sat in the space of that, of like seven days a week. I do minimum 10 minutes breath work usually. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's the fire of presence. Yeah. It's the fire of presence. That is so great. Okay. So... To wrap this up, there's so much that you have to offer. So I just kind of want to ask you, how can people get better connected to you? 
What's the best one? Oh, man, what a beautiful invitation. <laughs> I that. Um, so I have a course on boundaries. Yes. I'm going to be a boundaries badass. And then I have a course on breakups. I had a course on, uh, I have a course on relationships, how to create the love. I just have to re-record a bunch of this stuff. Okay. The, and I am adding to that one. That one will be released again in April. But my boundaries course is, I've got to say, I put a lot of time into that course. And it's, it's worth a lot more than I charged for it because I was like, everybody needs access to this. It's yeah. a hundred bucks. And it is. Really? It's $98 and it is a freaking deep dive. If you want to know what your values are, what your needs are, who you are, and learn why you don't have boundaries and how to build them, what they look like, what they sound like, what they feel like, mm-hmm. then, you know, because boundaries, I didn't cover this, but boundaries are both about containment and protection. They're about containing who we are, not projecting our feelings onto other people and our beliefs and all those things, and also protecting who we are. So they're a bit of a two-way street. Um, if you want to find out about all that stuff, you can just go to Instagram, create love. You can Google my name. You'll find yeah. me. Um, and I so appreciate this time with you and for you sharing from your vulnerable <laughs> space. Uh, that is courageous. Um, but I know the work you do is about inspiring others through who you are and to lay it all on the table, so to speak. You got to lay it all out there. I did want to ask you one thing, though, because I saw this. I was tempted. It was a bad timing for me. But your book club. Oh, the book club. Is that still a thing? Launching in February. It will. The pre-sale for it will start uh, probably right before Christmas. And that one's on sex. Um, Oh. But I did one on um, eight dates by the Godmans, which if you're in a relationship or dating, Eight Dates is one of the best books I've ever read for people. Really? It's short. It's beautiful. It gives you eight dates and eight subjects and questions to ask as a couple. And you can do it when you just start dating. Um, okay. To take with you. And each person has to plan a date each week. It's so beautiful. And it's all research-backed. And the Gottman Institute is phenomenal. I love John and Julie Gottman. They're basically the godfather and godmother of marriage research. Um, and then the one I just am doing is coming to a close soon is with Alexander Solomon on the book Loving Bravely, which is if you're a single person or in a relationship, but I'd say if you just want to learn more about yourself and your relationship story, all the things that I talked about today, yeah, uh, Loving Bravely from Dr. Alexander Solomon is probably one of the best books out there for sure. Um, and then the book we're going to be doing is with the author, Dr. Alexander Solomon. It's called um, Bringing Sexy Back. And it's about the science of sexuality, the stories around sex. Oh, it's going to be so fucking good. Ah, oh, that is really she's interesting. Funny. She's like brilliant. She uh, teaches marriage and family therapy at Northwestern. Cool. She's become a great friend of mine. And her book, her books are funny. They're like relatable and she's humorous and she's a mother and she's a, you know, in a brilliant partnership with her, with her husband. And I, I just love her. So I can't wait to do that book. That'll start right before Valentine's Day. I think the launch date of her book is February 2nd. So we'll okay. probably launch that week. Sick. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's so exciting. So fun. Yeah, I, I that was a really cool idea. I'm like, I this is genius. I want to do this. And it just didn't work for me. So, but this sounds really cool. I'm into it. Yeah, it's been dope. I've been loving it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. You are amazing. I have like, I got goosebumps a few times during our talk, but um, (laughs) I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep following you and listening to you. And uh, I just, I want to thank you and give you all my gratitude for being in my life in this way. And thanks for sharing.
Well, thank you for continuing to inspire. I really appreciate you sharing this time with me. And I know for anyone listening, time is the most valuable resource. So to exchange it, to hear my voice would probably challenge a lot of my teacher's opinions of me as a kid. So I'm very grateful. Okay. Well, uh, thanks. Bye. Wow. That was awesome. I love that guy. And these days I need his advice more than ever. If you'd like to connect with Mark, go to his website at www.markgroves.tv or give him a follow on Instagram at at create the love. Again, I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Go give someone you love a big hug right now. If you haven't done so yet, please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and leave a review of my show. Thank you all so much for listening. I'll be back here in 2020. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.